I, I feel like I wasn't a very good person. Um, and that it, and that's not actually who I am. Like, I'm a very compassionate, connected, present kind of person. And I was not for my mother. And I, I could not. I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I could not do that for her. Like, I was not congruent with myself because I guess the self that showed up for my mother's death was about nine years old. Hey everyone, welcome back to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. Thanks so much for tuning in to season six. I want to thank everyone for finding us. If you're new here, let's tell you a little bit about I've Been Better. So I've Been Better is a podcast that is designed to share the stories of people in my life with the world. I myself have come across quite a few people through work, through school, through part-time jobs, through my community, through other friends, and I genuinely genuinely believe that everyone has a story to tell, and I wanted to create a platform for people to share that story. So here comes I've Been Better. So welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have a second when you're done listening to this episode, if you liked it, please rate, review, subscribe. We are on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We also are on Spotify. Apple, Google, all the places where you can listen to a podcast. So please check us out. Now on to today's guest. We have a one of my favorite colleagues, absolutely. I am so excited to have this colleague on this podcast. As y'all know, I am a licensed clinical social worker in Raleigh, North Carolina, and so I'm very excited to introduce Kristen Brandon. Hey. Hey, hey. Let me tell y'all a little bit about Kristen. She's a licensed clinical social worker and a licensed clinical addictions counselor here in North Carolina. And she's also just a badass, <laughs> badass therapist. She is at my office. We, t- I tend to refer to Kristen as like our matriarch of our <laughs> therapy office. So it's pretty amazing. Kristen has raised three exceptional children and went back to school at age 39 for her master's in social work. She's been married for a really long time. She loves to ride her bike um, along. How do I say that? I don't the know. The Danube? Oh, it was the Danube. I have ridden my bike along the Danube River in in Europe. That's amazing. And visited six countries. Yes. Okay, we're definitely going to talk more about that. <clears throat> okay. So she has ridden her bike along the Danube River in Europe, visiting six different countries. She is also pas- passionate. Y'all, I can't talk today. Passionate about wellness, clearly riding her bike, connecting, learning, and traveling. Her hobbies include cycling, reading, gardening, hanging out with her husband, and her sweet Ms. Maisie, who is a cute little dachshund, who I would love to get her dog and our dog together, because I think they'd be so funny. (laughs) A fun fact about Kristen that, y'all, I actually didn't know until we were preparing for this podcast is that Kristen was offered a job as an FBI agent, but realized she could not live with the dress code. (laughs) I love. Okay, you have to tell us more about that. True story. Tell us about that. Well, I was uh, in between jobs. I was out of college, and um, my father had approached me about becoming an FBI agent. He just thought that would be a great job for me, weirdly. And uh, I was like 25, and you had to be endorsed by um, either another FBI agent or like a political person, like a senator or... Someone with power. Right. Yeah. And the guy, I, I, I can't 
Durkin. His name, his last name was Durkin. I don't know. It was just a funny, funny connection. He endorsed me, and so I got an interview in downtown Philadelphia. And you had to go through like six or eight oh God, yeah. levels of interviews. And I remember one of them. I had to hold my arm out straight with a handgun that was not loaded, and see how many times I could pull the trigger in a minute. Whoa! And like before never, your hand gave up? Yeah, <gasps> and I had never even held a handgun at that <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> and so um, I went through all of the. Um, you know, I made it all the way through, and um, this was in probably the early 80s, I think. And there was a real push to to hire more women in the FBI. Anyway, so I I made it to my final interview. And, you know, I had to go, this was all downtown Philadelphia. You know, I drove down there and I, you know, you have to, they had this big federal building. It's very imposing, right? And I go in and and I go open into the office and it's like this big, they just open area office where there's lots of desks and oh, all uh-huh. these people milling around. Like, like kind of like you see on TV. Yes. Okay. And yeah. and it was all men. They were all wearing blue suits, white shirts, and rep ties. And there I am at like 25. And the first thing that came into my mind was I could never manage the dress code. <laughs> I'm not wearing this. Yeah, I'm not wearing this for the rest of my life. And so, so fortunately, they had a job freeze. So that was oh good. Okay, so So you were like next up. I was next up. Yeah, right. And so they had a job freeze, and I took another job. Okay, which was an incredible opportunity for me, where I met my husband, where I met some of my really, really good friends that I've been friends with for 30 years. That's awesome. And so it was a real, it was one of those forks in the road. And I really feel like I, and it was fate, right? I I, I needed a job. I couldn't wait until the federal government was ready to hire me. Can you imagine me working for the FBI? Like I can. You know, like part of me is like, are you are you a secret agent that you just mm-hmm. haven't told any of us about? But yeah, I can absolutely attest to you being like, f the, that outfit. I'm right. not wearing that. I'm not wearing. Would not look good. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have met my husband in this outfit. That's I would not have. Right. <laughs> That is so funny. Yeah. Well, Kristen, welcome. Thank you for being here. It's fun to be here, Susan. I'm a little nervous, but I know I'm in good hands. Good, good. That's okay. The nerves are pretty normal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, what do we tell all of our clients during their first intake? They're all like, I'm really nervous. I either haven't been to therapy before or my last right. therapist was trash. Mm-hmm. So they're really anxious, right? Mm-hmm. That's totally normal. It's going to be great. Okay. So Kristen and I have worked together since 2019, 2018, 2019. It's been three years. 2019. So, yeah, 2019. When Great. you came to North Rock, we, you and I started at the, at same, the same time. time. Mm-hmm. And so both of us see in individuals in outpatient therapy. Kristen is definitely our go-to for complex family drama and dynamics. Mm-hmm. Kristen loves drama. I do. You love the drama. Mm-hmm. Not in my life, but yeah, in others. Yeah, in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um and so we, that's how we met each other. And I, we don't get to see each other very often because we're not in the office anymore. No, we used to be next door neighbors mm-hmm. and would, would pop out in the hall. Hey, how are you? Hey, how was your session? Hey, Go you ahead. got two seconds? Uh, yeah. Great. Right. Bye. Do, you have, do you have chocolate? Great. Right. I need it. I've been stealing. So y'all, I've been going back to the office for a little while. 
at the time of this session, this podcast is being posted. I've been going back for in-person sessions now that it's a little safer to do so. And so I've been popping into Kristen's office, like hoping candy shows up because mm-hmm. you are, always had candy. There are dark, dark chocolate Hershey kisses in that. Are they still good? I ate one when I was there on Friday and I didn't die. Okay, good. But I did notice that I had some of those packaged, those lentils. I don't know if you, <laughs> they expired in August of 2020. <laughs> wow. So he threw him away. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. There's some like hidden squirrel food in there somewhere. <laughs> Kristen, tell us a little bit more about yourself other than what I already said. Oh, well, um, I am one of five children. I grew up in Coopersburg, Pennsylvania. Coopersburg. I was the middle child. I have two older brothers, two younger brothers. Wow, you're the only girl. The only girl, which is great and really fraught, right? When you look at family roles and systems and all of that. Um, I uh, went to Villanova for my undergraduate. You know, go Nova. Too bad they lost to Kansas, but... Oh, did they? They did. Oh, dang. Um, But then Kansas beat UNC, so... Which we appreciate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so I was in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, uh, got married... And I uh, had my two older children, and I was working in business. I had a great career as a business person, really loved it. And um, after I, my father had always wanted me to go to school for business, but I got a degree in English literature, <laughs> which totally is opposite. Yeah, totally opposite. Mm-hmm. Makes you great at, you know, conversation, which turned out to be a good move, you know, down oh, the yeah. road. But um, so I went into business, enjoyed it. And then um, divorced, which was a you know a really interesting experience. The only divorce in my family, wow. you know, and um, which was really um, one of the other kind of detours in my life. That the, my husband, my first husband, was an alcoholic, and um, didn't I didn't know that. I didn't realize that until probably two years after I left the marriage. Wow. And I thought, oh my gosh. Like this makes so much sense <laughs> this now. This makes so much sense now. How old were you when you got married at that time? I was married at 26. Okay. And I left him when I was 32. So I had a four and a five-year-old and um, went out into the world. Wow. And on my own, I had a great job and I had a great support system, which... And even then, I thought to myself, this is so hard for me to leave, even though I knew I needed to leave. I I had a great income. I had a great support system. And I just thought to myself, what about all the other women who don't have all of these advantages that I do? The Um, fact that you were able to say, like, this is hard and I have everything. We tell these people that they need to have to leave. And I'm still having a hard time leaving. Right. Right. It was really, really difficult. Yeah. And so I was single or, you know, I like guess single mom for a long time. And then I uh, met my husband uh, that I'm married to now for 28 years. We love him. We love him. And uh, we were, we had known each other. We worked together. And I saw him a couple of times a year. I knew he was kind of sweet on me, but, you know, I was like, <laughs> well, when you know that, you're like, hmm. Yeah. I always tell people, um, that I, I share this story with with clients sometimes because when they're dating after like a divorce oh, or uh-huh. even even just dating 
<clears throat> and they're looking for, you know, like Mr. Right, and they meet somebody and they think, ah, oh, you know, he's not great or whatever. I tell the story about meeting my husband, so I knew him, and he is, and he was, and still is a dork. <laughs> and I, so he's goofy. I, he is goofy, and he doesn't dress well, and <laughs> he's just, he's just like a, like he's just like a square, you know. I mean, he just, he's like a. We're just roasting him right yeah, now. Yeah, but but I love him to pieces. But so my point is that. That if you, you know, it, so I remember this story that he had, he was coming up to where I was working. Mm-hmm. I worked for a national company and he worked also. We were in different parts of it. And he was in a rental car and he couldn't get the key out of the ignition. <laughs> and so I saw him. So I went in and I sat there and I was talking to him while he was trying to do this. He had the weirdest shoes on they were like earth shoes the ones with like your toes being like (gasps) they were so oh my gosh but but in a business suit right but giving him a chance and and you know how where you least expect it you know things happen and so uh when i got married we so he proposed after three months i said yes i sold my house i left my job this is an incredible story y'all like do you hear this like three months boom i'm done three three months and i'm done out and uh took my two kids my four and five year old or they were nine and ten or something like that then and we moved to new hill north carolina which is like in the middle of nowhere nowhere that that was a whole interesting (laughs) transition from the city to nowhere i I came from uh, new jersey to this backwater (laughs) beautiful but anyway and uh lynn said to me as my husband what do you want to do you can do anything you want you know because i couldn't work for that company anymore because they had a nepotism policy said you can stay at home you can oh so once you got married you can't continue to work there no no so so and that was i was there for 12 years so so he said you know what do you want to do you can stay home you whatever and that's a really 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 hard it's a great place to be but it's a really hard place to be like you can do anything you want what is that except the thing you just left right you're not allowed to do that right but that was okay i mean i was ready for something new sure and um that that is another thing that I that I feel like was a crossroads in my life that I, so I, I started, the way I decided what I wanted to do was deciding what I didn't want to do. Okay. And so I was, you know, piecing this together. I moved down here in July, in December. We went up to see my parents to take my kids up to see their dad over Christmas. And I really didn't feel well the whole time we were up there. And we're driving back on 95 in my husband's white Cherokee Jeep. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, I'm pregnant. (gasps) And I did not say anything. Now, my husband was 42, had no children. I was 38. And, you know, I had no plans on having children. And... We had just told my parents because we were not married yet. We we were we were getting married that next year, and uh, so we came home and I with my first two kids. You couldn't take a pregnancy test because you still had to go to the doctor. Oh my god! Yeah. So I so I went the next day and I got a pregnancy test and I 
I couldn't find them. And <laughs> like, where so are I, these in the CBS? Right, so I had to ask the pharmacist for a pregnancy test. And he said, what kind do you want? And I said, the kind that says no. <laughs> <laughs> the kind that will lie to me, please. Right. So anyway, I, it, it is a funny story, but I turned out that I was pregnant. And so that was what I did then for the next year was I had, I was pregnant, we got married, we, you know, and that's when I decided, my doctor said to me, who is, I met this guy in the middle of, in uh, Pittsburgh, that's where my doctor was, a Villanova graduate, like how, how does that, that happen? That's so funny. So we became fast friends, and he said to me, why don't you get your master's in social work? And I'm like, nope. Like, I don't want to be a social worker. Because what did we know about social workers back then? Right. That they yeah. took babies and they ate Fritos. Correct. And so um, we, so I, because I knew I wanted to be a therapist. That's what I had decided. Well, anyway, through, you know, a long series of, you know, thinking and talking to other people, I decided I would get my MSW. But I was really, up until my first night of class, I was like, I'm, this is not going to be for me, these social workers. Who are these you know, people? My first night, I, I, I could have cried. It was like I found my people. I love that. Yeah. So I remember doing that same thing. Yeah? Yeah. Was that like your journey? You were. No, I always knew what I wanted to do. I didn't know how I was going to get there. But I remember my grad school classes being like, oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. This is like, what this I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Very cool. Mm-hmm. They're hard. Like the, the tears. I remember crying my entire first semester of grad school. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. So you've got a really long winded I love that. That's okay. Your okay. story is you have a lot to say, as you mm-hmm. should. <laughs> Three girls? I have a daughter, a son, a daughter. Okay. So backwards from your life. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. were in the middle of boys, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. your boy is in the middle yeah. of girls. That's right. I so my that. oldest is a licensed clinical social worker also. Look at you influencing the next generation. I'll tell you what. I love it. I love it. And then my son is a city manager in Western North Carolina, nice. and my youngest child is in marketing outside of Cincinnati. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's so great. So that, and that's helpful. I mean, it d- demonstrates to me how you got here, which I don't actually think I knew. How you yes. got to be in North Carolina. That's how I got. But we, you know, we lived in Indiana yep. and Alabama. Because you were a professor as well. I was at uh, Indiana University School of Social Work for 10 years. What did you teach? Oh, well, I was the director of the field program. Mm-hmm. And so I also taught policy, which I weirdly love. Oh, yeah. And I taught psychopathology. Um, I did all the field stuff. And I did. Oh, I, I taught all of the classes at one point, except for research. I never taught research. Yeah. I think you have to have some sort of background to do oh, that, don't you? Well, you, you have you to should. want to. Yeah, you should like <laughs> want to do it, absolutely. Who wants to teach research? I hear that. I don't mm-hmm. think I'd want to do that. Mm-mm. I don't want to do research, though. So. You know, I used to think I did. Mm. When I got to state, I, so my undergrad's in psych, mm-hmm. and I wanted to study dreams, and the professor at state, I believe, I could be making this up, you know, like kind of false memories mm-hmm. that I've created for myself. But from my understanding at the time, there was a professor at state who did dream study, like dream analysis. And then they left the year before I could take the oh, research class. That would have been so cool. That would have been cool. But that's the only research I want to do. Do you still find that to be interesting? Dreams are fascinating to me. 
Absolutely fascinating. Do you do that work with your patients? Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. Mark Yalom talks about dreams in his, like the, the one of his modern books about like the modern psychotherapist uh-huh. or something. He talks about like how to analyze dreams a little bit. Uh-huh. And he talks about how dreams should never be taken literally. That's part of the study. You uh-huh. you interpret the feelings that you have right. in the dreams, not the literal stuff. So I do that a lot with clients when they're like, mm-hmm. I had a dream that like I chopped someone's head off, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. you're not going to chop someone's head off. You're going to be fine. Right. Why did you dream about that? Like, let's talk Mm -hmm. about, are you angry at them, right? Like, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. But so I do talk about dreams a lot. Do you mean Yalom of the Yalom? Irving Yalom? Yeah. Am I just combining two names that aren't real? Yeah, probably. Well, Well, he did. His earlier work was all on group therapy, but then his later work was how to be a therapist and all he did a lot of, okay, that's what you're referring yeah, to. So yeah. So I made up a name. That's not his name. Irving Yalom. Yeah, I think it's name. Irving. Yes. Yeah. We're going to cut that so I don't sound like an idiot. <laughs> Irving Yalom is yeah. his name. I had, I have his book at the office. Oh, I'm sure you do. But I don't keep it here. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not read that book. It's good. I think yeah. I actually read it during the, the initial stages of the pandemic when I had a lot of time. We should have written down all read. the books that we've read during I, the pandemic. I did. It's you called did. a Goodreads account, and I, I have them there. You need to get one. I do have one, but I can never remember to write the books down. <laughs> I'll do it for you. I'll just uh, control your Goodreads account. Just I, like text me when you've read a book. Oh my gosh, I've read so many. So you now don't work in addictions strategically. So when I was uh, getting my graduate degree, one of my practicum placements was with the local uh, psych hospital on their addictions. Funny story about that is that where I lived in Indiana, there were a lot of Amish. And weirdly, we would get a lot of these young, young Amish men who after their friggin' friggin' thing and thing the thing they, they do, do like your at journey age 16 yeah. they would get arrested for you know dwis or you know drunk and disorderly and that, that kind of thing wild. and they would have to come into these groups with these like really like seasoned hard <laughs> people really struggling with addiction right like like in their 50s and these kids <laughs> would just because they would be over 18 so, so they're adults to come into that group and so that was really how I got into the whole addictions field and then Indiana has a they have the LCSW and the LCAS and so it was very easy for me to get that double licensure and so I did so now I don't I work with people who have had addictions who are in recovery more so than active yeah. addictions. So it's not a primary diagnosis, it's right. a secondary. Right. Well, and we've had a we've had another clinician on the podcast, if y'all remember and have listened to the episode with Megan Peden, she's also an LCAS. She's an LCAS mm-hmm. A, so getting her full LCAS. In mm-hmm. North Carolina, there are some schools. So um, North Carolina Central, you get your LCAS when you're when you finish the degree there. That's great. Um or like you're you're an associate, and then mm-hmm. you can, you know can right. go finish it, but not as many schools in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I think prioritize addiction specialists, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate. You know, we've got quite a huge drug problem. Well, when I was in school and thinking about this, uh, somebody said to me, "Everybody you work with has been touched by addiction." What is it? It's like one degree, right? Like I was yeah. literally talking to RPA at our office the other day, and I needed her to refer me to a couple Al-Anon groups mm-hmm. that had a young population because mm-hmm. I knew of some, but that they weren't the right population. And she was like, "Honestly, everyone should be going to an Al-Anon." Right. 
Because no you kidding. all know somebody mm-hmm. that knows somebody. Mm-hmm. Like you all have been touched some right. to some degree. Right. So I think that's so fascinating. So what brought you back here? To North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we had decided that we did not want to retire in Indiana because we were in northern Indiana, which is has snow from like <laughs> October 5th. They just had snow yesterday. Well, so did Asheville. Okay. So which but, is wild. All right. And, <laughs> uh, and it's gray. So anyway, so we didn't want to stay there forever in a day. And so we, we thought about places we wanted to go. We considered Virginia or we knew we wanted to be on the East Coast. Yeah. And so we decided to come back to the area, you know, the Raleigh area. Um, and very happy that we did. So yeah. we, we live out in Clayton, uh, which is... You got lots of land. Hmm? Not like lots of land, but you have space. We have, we have space. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're a biker. So yeah, you need to have trails mm-hmm. and like, you know, places to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I like it. I like being able to come to Raleigh, but I like being able to go home where, you know, it's a little quieter. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking, y'all. So, you know... As clinicians, we abide by ethics and morals and values. And we've been talking during the pandemic when vaccines were a big deal. And, you know, Kristen, as she's mentioned, lives in Clayton, which can sometimes be a little questionable with their uh, political stances. Yes. Definitely red. And um, I remember Kristen telling me that you were working at like a voting place. <laughs> yes. You, you like took the day off to go to a voting mm-hmm, place. Mm-hmm. You're like, I am going to make sure that my presence is known in this community. Yeah. Yep. I, I work as a uh, assistant poll worker. So when you go in to vote uh, and you show your identification or you, or you get your ballot, that's I'm, you're talking to me. I love that. That's yeah. so cool. It's very cool. And we're read, getting ready for primaries yes. on May 17th. Okay, I'm ready. So vote, vote, vote. But everyone. We, even yep. if you vote, we don't have to agree on who you vote for. That's Please right. just, just vote. vote. Yeah. Right. Exercise the right that you've been mm-hmm. given to vote. Just try and leave your MAGA hat at home if you can. It'd be nice. And like the truck with the revving engine and your mm-hmm. American flag on the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny that you bring that up, actually. Did you see the message that I sent? We have a work group text, and there is a trans rights rally in downtown Raleigh today, on this, the day that we are doing this recording, and my co- colleague and I are going, and yes. he texted me this morning with all the signs that he made. <laughs> oh, really? It was great. Because yeah. cool. I told our other, the colleague that has been on this podcast before, Bryce, I had told him that I was like, I don't have anything creative to offer you. Mm-hmm. And Bryce paints for fun. So he yes, painted them no all. kidding. No kidding. Yeah, I would be, I wouldn't have anything. I was like, I have nothing either. to offer you. <laughs> so funny. You'll carry one. Yes, I just can't create it. Mm-hmm. So you came back to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. You worked at a community mental health center for some time. I worked at, now, I worked at community mental health when I was in Alabama, which was an incredible experience yeah. um, in rural Alabama. Yeah. But when I came back to North Carolina, I started with a private practice. Um, I don't know what part of Raleigh that is, yeah, but sorry. I started with, I did that for about a year and then I took a job with a, a higher level of acuity, which was a intensive outpatient partial hospitalization program that's in Cary. Mm-hmm. And I did that, uh, both of those together. And then when I left the other private practice, I started with North Raleigh. And you came to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've worked... In different areas, I've done community corrections, community mental health, higher ed, private practice. I don't know what you call the IOP, PHP. 
It's higher level of care. Higher yeah. level of care. Like level yeah. threes and fours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is not my population. No, neither one of us see that mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. No. Yep. Yeah, I did that for a little while too. Mm-hmm. Not. Mm-mm. Hey, you might want to cut this part, That's but fine. where do you get those pinwheels for child abuse meant? Among- PCANC. To prevent child abuse, um, there in North Carolina, their website okay. you can order them. Okay, mm-hmm. somebody just asked me that yesterday, and I thought it was prevent child abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, PC, okay. PC, ANC, and you can okay. order them online. You could also probably get them on Amazon and just like get them in blue. Like you potentially could, if you just want the pinwheels for the sake of the pinwheels and mm-hmm. not to support the agency, you could do mm-hmm. that. But otherwise, it's PCANC. Well, she has the sign because I guess she did it last year. Yeah, so it's hard to go to PCANC. Okay, yeah. So, Kristen, from what you're telling all of us, which is amazing, that you have quite a bit of experience in many, many areas. I do. That's what happens when you get old. Yeah. So, dive in for a little bit, you know, as you all know, with how this podcast is kind of set up, you may have gathered that I talk with our guests a little bit before we dive in to really kind of suss out what we're going to talk about today or get to any of those heebie-jeebies and ask any questions, you know, and Kristen was like, you know, not really, I've got a few things I could talk about. I'm not really sure, but there is this one area that I actually don't ever talk about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I noticed that when you were talking about all your experience too, it's not an area that you really dove into, which is the area of of grief, Mm -hmm. you know, of working with clients in grief or talking about grief. And so I'm not sure if there's a much more natural segue that you feel inclined to take, but you know, tell us a little bit about your life and like why that is that you've never really touched that. Well, um, I don't know because I've certainly been touched by grief. Um, growing up, both of my parents came from very large families and were very, very close. And so there were, you know, there was, I had an uncle who died by suicide. I had uh, a cousin who died at 16 from like a geoblastoma. Wow. And, you know, I I lost my brother when I was 35. He died of AIDS, mm. um, which was a really... Was it during the height of everything? It was 1991, so yeah. it was a little bit later, mm-hmm. but it was it was an incredible experience as a human being, as a sibling, as a child. I remember my parents in the hospital. Like my you know, you weren't being gay was not okay. And my parents were like they were pretty solidly middle class, would not have gone out against somebody, but this was their child. It was embarrassing, you know, all this. It was really, really complicated. Uh, but anyway, that that maybe that would be for another podcast. But, I was so, like, we need to like have that episode. But so that was that was a really, that was another turning point in my life. The loss of my brother, it caused me to quit smoking. Which was something I really loved to do. <laughs> you could have kept that as an FBI agent. I could have. That's one thing that you were that allowed would have to been do. Part of it, but um, and so so when and I also then my um, years later my father died, and then uh, what you and I had talked about was. Uh, my mother was diagnosed with. My mother had been very, very healthy. My parents were married, in you know, intact family. And my dad died, kind of unexpectedly. But you know, he was old, he was in his seventies, and then so my mom survived, but she was very, very healthy. Mm-hmm. But then a couple of years after that, she got a diagnosis: idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which is a fatal 
disease. Does it have to do with your heart? Lungs. Your lungs. Okay, lungs. thank you for So what happens is your fibroid, and I shouldn't say this because I don't. But we are not medically right, licensed to provide right. any of this information. But it, they harden, and they it starts from the bottom of your lungs up okay. to the top of your lungs, and you just can't breathe because you have no lung capacity wow. eventually. So she, you know, she wanted to stay in Florida, which was where there was no family down there. I was in Indiana, had brothers in Pennsylvania and Arizona, but she didn't want to leave, so she stayed there. She didn't really talk to us about her disease. Had she always been a pretty private person, or was this new? Pretty uh, stubborn. Okay, that's a better way to put Pretty that. stubborn mm-hmm. person, yeah. My mom, um, you know, knowing what I know now, I'd probably diagnose her, you know, if, if that were ethical. That. Let's diagnose our parents. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, so we always had a really uh, a difficult relationship. And, and I used to say that we had a complicated relationship, but we really didn't. I loved my mom. Yeah. She was just a very complicated person and had a hard time with relationships. So, anyway, that's a so good, she, like, sep- not, what's the word I want to use? That's a really good differentiation to make. Mm-hmm. Like, y'all's relationship separately was not complicated you knew there was love there i love my mom like that was fine she was complex right as a person right all i wanted to do was have a relationship with my mom right but she wasn't really capable of that so when she got sick the assumption was as the daughter i would be the caretaker love that i know it was wild fabulous gender roles Mm -hmm. screw Mm -hmm. that binary yes somebody said to me one of my clients said to me, so you're saying, because I don't have a penis, it's my job to take care of my mom or whatever. You're like, yeah, that's literally what it goes down to. Right, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so she moved in with us, and it was, uh, I found out when when I w- took her to her new pulmonologist that she was an end stage, wow. which I did not know. And uh, as I was telling you earlier, I learned what the word blanched mean bench because that's exactly like I blanched I know the color just drained out of my face and I had a couple of those moments with her (laughs) like she was in the hospital and I we thought she was going to die and we had nothing set up you know we didn't have a DNR or scrambling yeah so we my husband had knew a lawyer who did work for them corporately great wonderful man he came to the hospital and um you know there's like three different levels of like um conservatorship or whatever of you know for for decision making one of them was you know like a a DNR, one was you can do it if blah, blah, blah. And the third one would be that the, the I don't know what the... Like a medical... Oh my, we just did, talked about this. Basically, like, you're like the medical attorney. Yeah, like, like the I right. would make the decision. Yes. Like, in, like, so. Why can we not think of the, we've I both been this. Why yeah. can we not, I don't remember. But my mother, I expected my mother to choose the DNR, but she said, oh, well, Kristen can make the decision. That was the second time I blanched. And you're just like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Right. Right. So anyway, so she continued to decline. It was very difficult. My my kids. Medical power of attorney. Medical power Dear of God, attorney. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> my 
kids were wonderful. She would be hospitalized. She came home once or twice, but then she would go to a rehab facility. My adult kids, my my youngest was in college or maybe high school. Uh, My husband was wonderful. My brothers came once or twice. And... um, but she just continued to decline. It was a terrible situation, you know, being in those rehab facilities where they don't have enough, and that's a whole nother. They still don't. They still right. don't. I mean, this was when this was this in the oh nine, like, yeah, like mid two thousand, like two thousand. She died in oh nine. Yeah. So yeah, so like the early two thousands, right? Yeah. Like. I can't imagine. I remember my dad saying the same thing to me when they told him he was going to have to go to rehab. He was like, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And this was in 2017. Right. So no one wants to go there. Right. Right. Exactly. So anyway, so we nursed her through all of this. And and, um, there were some funny moments. I remember um, the last time. So two things. One of them was the last time I was following the ambulance to the hospital at like midnight. And I thought to myself, I really should have been an ambulance driver because I could speed and not have any consequences. That was one. And then two, we get to the ER and my mother is lying prostrate on this, you know, gurney. And she's got this thing on her face, which is kind of like breathing for her. Mm -hmm. I forget what they call it. And um, the, the nurse is asking me questions and she says... Does your mother drive? And my mother says, yes. <laughs> like with this machine on her face. Dying. <laughs> yeah. she's. It was funny. But anyway. She, her independence was not going to be taken from it, her. Exactly Mm-mm. right. She was fighting this. I mean. To the end. To the end. Yeah. And, um, and so... So throughout this whole um, time of me being her kind of caretaker, I was very, very, uh, I was very uncomfortable with my mother because you could very easily piss her off. Mm. And then if she was mad at you, you were like a person non grata. Mm. Like, you know, she were would you just like a pariah? Cut you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she just wouldn't talk to you. Yeah. Or she would be very cold. And, uh, and so I lived in fear of that my entire life. And yeah. so I'm, it's kind of that walking on eggshells yes. kind of thing. And what would we call that in <clears throat> relationships? Stonewalling. Yes, yeah, so she was a pro, man. But so it was. It was so, so, so stressful for me. Yeah, it was funny. At the time, I won the social worker of the year. I had to, well so deserved. I had to get, Amazing. Go to, to this dinner, and I'm like crying. <laughs> During my acceptance speech, I was just like a mess. And it was because of all of this that was happening with my mom. So anyway... Was it just like a huge juxtaposition to be winning this award and you're like my Which life was is so meaningful to me yeah and right. like my life is hell at home mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like i'm was, living through what i help my people through right oh. right it was really yeah it was interesting and so uh and so finally my mother is in hospice and she's mm. at you know they they had it at the hospital and um my 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 younger brothers couldn't get there in time um but my older brother was there and um, my mother was, you know, again in this. They really they didn't have her hooked up to anything, right? Because it it's hospice, yeah. right? Yeah, it's just end of life, right? Care. So she had that. I wish I could remember that machine. 
like a BiPAP machine or something. I was about to call it a CPAP knowing that it wasn't that, but it sounds like that. I think it was called a BiPAP. But anyway, so she's laying there in the bed and, you know, she's, and, and having that awful death kind of breathing and really, really struggling, just gasping for air. And um, my brother, Danny, was sitting there and just, you know, soothing her and rubbing her hands and just, you know, being lovely. And I'm sitting in the recliner at the foot of the bed, pissed off as I could be. I mean, I was just angry. And I, it wasn't directed at my mother, but I was angry. I was shut down. I was disconnected. And I just like, let's get this the hell over with. And, um, and she died, you know, which I knew she was going to die. And my brother was, you know, distraught. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, I have felt nothing. I felt nothing. Like, whew, okay, glad that's over with. Yeah, we did that. Yeah. I can breathe again. And so when my mother moved up, you know, like three months prior to that or four months prior to that, she from Florida, she brought an entire moving truck. All of her full shit. Of, uh, yeah, full of her shit. Uh-huh. And so, which, inc- I mean, she was dying right she was in the end stage yeah so we had put it in the storage unit so i don't know why i did this this is this is the this is the mystery right so she died like on a tuesday and that weekend i had to go to that storage unit and empty it out Mm -hmm. and i i remember being so angry and my children were there and actually, I think my son was there, and I was just throwing, like, she brought stuff like garden hoses. I'm like, you're moving into my house. You don't need your own garden hoses. But <laughs> and, and just, like, I got rid of all of her stuff. Like, her, I didn't throw away anything that would would be stuff that my brothers would want, like furniture. So you were able and, to, like, differentiate between right. those things. But anything that wasn't that... I, no like, meaning, this garden hose. Yeah, garden hose, but I, there were also personal things of hers, like clothing or whatever. And I just, I mean, I was just, I was enraged. Yeah. Enraged uh, that that weekend and then another weekend when I went back and, you know, got the rest of it out. I don't, it was so, it was such a compulsion for me that yeah. I had to do it then. And um, was that a really uncomfortable feeling for you? Had you ever felt that way before? No, I'd never felt that way before. I was so, so angry. And I never, um, I was in therapy. I started therapy probably like six months later, but I never addressed that anger that Mm -hmm. I, I just was very disconnected from it. Like I still feel pretty disconnected from it. It's like it happened to somebody else. Yeah. And I went through all the motions, did everything that she wanted to. Did she have a will? Yeah. And I was her executor, of course. Oh, well, duh. Which, you, you know, be? my older brother was not. So that created problems, right? Was um, he envious of that? I think he was angry about it yeah. and felt slighted. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, yeah. and that came out at me. Right, because well, you're alive. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. You have my family 
pegged right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, I did what she wanted me to do. You know, we had, she was cremated. We had a big party mm-hmm. for her down in Florida. We buried her with my dad, you know, her cremains. And um, my husband got into a fight with the person who was that was doing the funeral was it like a priest or someone yeah he was i don't think he was a full-fledged priest but he was someone working at the facility yeah right right um but anyway did all of that and moved on and that was it and when you say moved on what does that mean what does that look like well it's like i just okay that's done did that like, check, check the box. Okay. Mm-hmm. Don't got to worry about that mm-hmm. anymore. I mean, you see my body language right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> if y'all could see this, Kristen is sitting, literally moved from sitting crisscross mm-hmm. on our pod loft couch to putting her legs out straight, crossing them and crossing arms. Mm-hmm. Completely shut down. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What comes up for you trying to talk about it right now? Well... I, I feel like I wasn't a very good person, um, and that it, that's not actually who I am. Like, I'm a very compassionate, connected, present kind of person, and I was not for my mother, and I, I could not. I mean, like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I could not do that for her, and um, I... It's like, it's like, you know, in EMDR, I talk to people about building containers. Mm-hmm. Well, my mother has been in this container. It's like in one of those, like, you know, when you see where they go to the morgue and they open that, that, little like that vacuum freeze yes. kind of door and you put it in. Well, that's the container. It's in something like that. And it's like a metal box with grommets and a, and a hasp block. And she's on the top shelf in the back of the closet. Yep, yep. Way, way, way far back. So. I mean, I think, you know, from what I know about you, I absolutely agree that you are a compassionate, connected, Mm. present individual. But part of me, and again, this isn't meant to be therapy, but I'm, she wasn't there for you. Mm -hmm. And so to be expected to show up for somebody in their last moments when they could never be present for you mm-hmm. i can imagine that would make someone feel pretty angry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and whether you were conscious of that being the situation or not mm-hmm. yeah i mean what comes up for me is that even if somebody wasn't present for me i can be present for them like i should have been able to show up right right and like, I was not congruent with myself because yeah. I guess the self that showed up for my mother's death was about nine years old. Baby Kristen showed yep. up. Confused, hurt, yep. um, disappointed, disconnected, scared. And that's who I think that's probably more of what our relationship was like. So in a way, it was pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. It yeah. just doesn't feel, when you had mentioned to me that it's not that it didn't feel right, it just didn't feel right with who you were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, would you have changed anything about that? Well, if I could, I would have liked to have been able to understand that where I was acting from was from that hurt, 
And and really acting from that place, I had no ability to be any of those things that I can do as an adult. I don't have any regrets with my mom, which I think is funny, you know, like that surprises me, but I don't because I feel like my wish for my mother was to live an examined life. My mother had no interest in that. And I made every offer that I could throughout my time with her, and she rebuffed me at every turn. So I guess that's why I don't have any regrets. You did everything you could. Right. Yeah. That I knew how to. Yeah. Yeah, at that time. And like you said, all you ever wanted was to be close to your mom. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to have a mom. I remember one time... I called my mom, and this was after I had been separated, and I was, was, you know, a single parent, and my son was really mad at me for leaving his father. He was four, and my daughter was shut down and hurting, and and I was working full-time, and I came home from work one day, and I was just like, oh my God, you know, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. These kids are crazy. And I called my mom, and I said, it's like... I almost feel like I resent my kids. You know, like I was like, oh, that's so scary. Uh-huh. I don't want to feel that way. And my mother said, of course you resent your kids. They demand a lot. Like I was horrified. You're like, oh my God. Right. That was like such a like moment for me. Like I, to think that I would resent my kids broke my heart. I could not do and that. And the fact that she validated yeah. it. And she's like, no, I absolutely resent you. Yeah. No kidding. And you're like, well, shit. Well, that explains, this explains a, lot. a lot, right? But what right. what separates you from your mom in that? Like, what made you two different? Well, I think I think that you know, it's it's that conundrum that we see a lot, right, with people who grow up in homes where there is abuse or neglect, mm-hmm. and they 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 turn around and they're these amazing parents and you're just like, how did you learn how to do that? Because, you know... It wouldn't have shocked us if you couldn't have done that. Right, right. It would have been expected, right? And so I think that what I decided was that I wasn't... I didn't... I couldn't articulate it. I don't know that I can articulate it now. But I wanted my children to feel love Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel love. And I felt like... They can go to their therapists, and they all have therapists. Love that. And they can talk about Y'all hear different this? things. Therapists in therapy, children in therapy. Yeah. And I just don't want them to, to be able to say to their therapists, I didn't think my mother loved me. Yeah. So. I mean, that's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just said that you have experienced that. And I know as someone who works with young kids, I'm sort of weaning my way out of working with young kids due, you? due to this and the heaviness of working with parents and the complexity of that. Mm-hmm. I've got a client right now that has told me, like, I feel like my mom hates me. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, you're 15. You should never feel right that your parent hates you. Right. right. And it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Well, and we know what that does. I mean, like even when, you know, we do like attachment work and I think about, I think about that for myself and I I just think how, how lonely and how Mm -hmm. isolated and, you know, how do we figure these things out when we don't feel like we have a safe base? You don't. It's extraordinary, right? And thank goodness for therapists, right? I mean, that's the place to act this out and to Mm -hmm. explore that. And then we think about the kids that don't have access. Right. 
And you, right. you were young and therapy wasn't prominent at that time. So you would have never thought to d- explore that. Well, my parents would have never. No. Would have never. They thought everything was fine. Of course and, it was. And, and as a parent and in defense of parents, you know, my par- my kids are in therapy. So, I mean, p- parenting is a really, really hard thing to mm. do. And you're, you're simultaneously raising children as you yourself are growing right. and becoming an adult and figuring things out, like how to pay for a mortgage and, you know, <laughs> and how school to- keeps getting expensive right. and their after school activities. What right. do I tell parents every time I see them? Let me tell you, you can be the most perfect, best parent and do everything right. Your kid's still going to end up in my office. Right. Because you can't control for everything. Right. It doesn't matter. Right, right. And there's no book that ultimately tells you how to raise your kid Mm -hmm. the right way for Mm -hmm. your kid. Right, right, exactly. And we we know... What, if you can if you can create an environment where they feel safe and secure and loved, that is that's, that's it. The best parenting yeah. right there. That's it. And I didn't have that. Did you have that? You know, it's funny that you asked that because I believe I did, which is why <clears throat> you know, I don't I didn't don't think I felt that for my mom. I didn't know my mom very well. Mm-hmm. She was sick most of my life. And so I don't have a lot of memories. People tell me that I was mm-hmm. very loved. And I don't think I feel an absence of love necessarily. Right. Like, I don't think it's that specific and that mm-hmm. clear. But I don't know. You know, I don't remember much about that with her. And then I definitely knew I was loved by my dad. I mean, my Good. dad and I were best friends. That's awesome. Until the day he died. And so I, and I remember having those really tough conversations because thankfully I like was aware enough Mm. to be able to have these conversations with my dad before he died and I had the opportunity to do that like you are loved you know did I what could I have done better like we really had these very tough conversations and so I'm very grateful for that because Mm -hmm. you know and and as someone who actually probably won't have children Mm -hmm. I think I'm making that choice because of what I went through with my parents you just talked about being a caregiver and I know Mm -hmm. I can 100% relate to that and Mm -hmm. it was so draining Mm -hmm. and it's so exhausting Mm -hmm. at times and it does bring up this dichotomy of feeling like the we talk about this a lot in grief as many of y'all may know grief is one of my specialties and it's where i want to niche myself at some point Mm -hmm. because you are grateful for it to be over and Mm -hmm. then just destroyed that it's over right and like how do you reckon with that right so you just say you're like great that's done i can breathe again and Mm -hmm. like i don't regret feeling that way and i was mentioning to you downstairs like i have a few regrets about Mm-hmm. when my parents died and like that is heartbreaking and like I don't ever want children to go through that so mm-hmm. I don't think I can have kids like to impose that on them um there's other many reasons why we won't have children mm-hmm. but one of them is like I felt like my whole life was dedicated to taking care of other people already mm-hmm. and I don't even have kids so the idea of having kids being so demanding mm-hmm. and like me resenting them mm-hmm. sounds terrifying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You must miss your dad. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Well, I was a caretaker from very early on because being the only girl. The only girl. Yeah. I was the, you know, the in-house babysitter. Absolutely. You know. I was the baby, so I got got babysat, but. Well, there you go. So you're Mm -hmm. the object of the older children's. I was an only child yet a baby Mm -hmm. because our age differences are so big. Yeah, what's the age difference? The smallest is nine years. Okay. Yeah. So I only lived with a sibling for eight years of my life. So my youngest is nine years, 
and 10 years younger than my older mm-hmm. two kids. So totally can relate to that. You're the baby, yeah. yet you're kind of an only child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. So no regrets, but mm-hmm. definitely a time where you sounds like you still now like look back and kind of am curious about, like, mm-hmm. you're, you're a little curious about what that was about. Yeah, I think the curious is a good word, yeah. is, is how I feel about it. Um, talking, so I don't talk about it. Um, and I don't know why I don't talk about it. I, you know. Well, it sounds like in a way, and I could be wrong, so you know to tell me this. You sounds like you've made peace with where you want it to be for now. Mm-hmm. It's in a locked box mm-hmm. on the back of a shelf, way, way far back. And like, you're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm okay with that, but I'm not okay with that because I don't want to... I don't know. You know, I feel like at different points in my life when I've been in therapy, this is my fourth time in therapy, and I've had such wonderful therapists mm-hmm. in my, my you know, therapy-seeking, you know, Your journey. You know, my yes. journey. And I, you know, I think I'm ready to, you know, how that works, like at different points in our lives, we're ready to look at different things. Absolutely. And, you got to feel secure and safe in, I feel mm-hmm. like in so many other areas before you're mm-hmm. willing to like unpack. There is a great comedy segment that I'm going to send you. Okay. That a client of mine actually sent me. That okay. Compares the therapy process to unpacking your garage. Oh, okay. And it's wonderful. Okay. And in the skit, the comedian talks about how when you finally get to the place that you're ready to like touch that one box in the corner that you don't want to touch, the therapist is going to make you dump it on the ground and then you're going to slowly put it back together. Okay. I love it. It's a great analogy, Mm -hmm. I think, for therapy because he talks about how like you just go in the garage and this is why therapy process is a journey and it's so long Mm -hmm. and it kind of never ends because you're just like taking a box and you dump it out and then now you just got shit everywhere in your garage (laughs) and you're like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. The shit needs to go back in the box now. And the therapist is like, no, no, we're going to put one piece back every week (laughs) for the next 52 weeks and like how overwhelming that can feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you said you're getting more to this place where you actually want to talk about it. Yeah. I want to get through all those boxes in my, in my garage. I'm ready to do that. You know, I think I'm probably three quarters of the way through it. It's and pretty amazing. Yeah. So I want to I wanna finish unburdening. Yeah. You know, doing a lot of IFS, internal family systems We stuff. love IFS. Mm-hmm. We're big fans. Yeah. Kristen and I are like the gurus at the office right now. We're like, working give us all it. the IFS training. Yeah, working on it. Yeah, so it's just, you know, looking at that part of myself that is that nine-year-old kid and, and understanding it. Because, you know, we still carry this stuff and it comes out in our behavior and our beliefs. And, and then you see it and you're like, things. what the hell was that? Mm-hmm. Where'd that come from? Right. Which, oh, is yeah. the, which is the best thing I think about IFS yeah. is when that stuff comes up. It's like, who's that? Who was that? <laughs> yeah. I have a client who has really absorbed this concept of IFS mm-hmm. and I love how, how much they've embraced it. And mm-hmm. they'll tell me that they identify, you know, this part of them as like their, like their baby. Uh-huh. And it's so cool to be like, yeah, you get it. And they're like, oh, uh-huh. baby girl was the one talking today. Like yeah. it was not me. Yeah. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> I have one who has named their parts. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally awesome. I want to drive this home if y'all have picked up on this, but Kristen made a point of saying that she's been through four therapists 
in your life and you're still not undone Mm -hmm. unburdening and unpacking your three quarters of the way through your two-car garage Mm -hmm. of stuff if not Mm -hmm. bigger or smaller think about that i I think sometimes people get this misconception that therapy is a quick fix and it can Mm -hmm. be there are such things as solution focused therapy models right where if you are having panic attacks about eating mustard Mm -hmm. yeah go to some exposure therapy and like you'll be done in 12 weeks right 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 right. that's not what we're talking about Mm -hmm. therapy is a lifelong journey and process Mm -hmm. because stuff's going to come up at different times in your life that you didn't even know you needed to deal with right Right. And the four times that I went to therapy, the first time was when in my first marriage, we went for couples therapy. In the first session, the therapist said, okay, I'm willing to work with you guys, but I think you both need individual therapy, which I have said that a million times (laughs) as a therapist. And so I went for individual therapy and my husband did not. So that was an 18-month, 24-month ordeal that I met with that therapist who I called Dr. Freud, which was not his name. (laughs) But we sat in these two recliners Uh that were not facing, right? Oh, you're like catty corner. Yeah. Well, kind of like, I don't know what you would call this. Oh, like a triangle? Like kind of angled towards each other, but not looking at each other. That was my first experience. Weird. That was was back in... um, Therapy has changed so much. Yes. What was that? In the 80s, I think. Was it before your brother passed away? Uh, No. No. So after... Uh, yeah, and it was before I became a therapist. For it's sure. in the 90s. Yeah, but yeah. It, was, it was totally cool. It was really, it was life-changing. And Yay. so, you know, I managed through that, separated. I continued with therapy, but then I eventually ended that. And then the second time was when uh, my third child was born. So I was late 30s. I had, you know, a like a 10 and 11-year-old and an infant, and it was a huge transition time. You know, I was married, living in the middle of nowhere in North <laughs> Carolina, and so I went then, and then the third time was when my mother died, like about six months after my mom died, and then the fourth time was actually COVID really prompted it with just all that compassion fatigue. Um, and like, what the fuck is going on in our country? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. There's so much uncertainty. I yeah. just listened to Brene That's Brown. That's when I started mine, too. Yeah, was talking about um, her podcast with, um, oh, I can't remember who it is. Somebody wonderful. Oh, uh, Estelle Perel. Esther is amazing. Yeah, Esther. And um, talking about uncertainty. But anyway, so it was the compassion fatigue. And uh, I just had my one-year anniversary with my therapist. Congratulations. I, I told her happy anniversary, man. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So we're still great. in therapy right now. Yes, still yeah. in therapy. See y'all at your therapist, see therapists. Yep. We're humans too. Good therapists. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Good therapist, see therapist. If your therapist isn't willing to eventually say they'll need to see a therapist, we understand breaks. We understand like taking Uh pauses. Uh But if they're never going to see a therapist and never have, run. Yep. Run away. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Do it. Far, far away. Do it. Do it. Yep. Kristen, how are you today? I'm great. Yeah. I'm great. And you know, I... Thinking about this on the way over, I think I've been really fortunate in my life. Yeah. You know, when we were talking about making the big big decision, you know, when I said about saying yes to my husband and leaving my job, my home, and and you said, well, it was a good decision. You know, it worked out. And But I think even some of the other decisions that have not been so smart 
have also worked out. Yeah. You know, and I think that, that at the end of the day, it's what we make of our lives and um, that really determines how we, how our, or how our lives are lived, right? The, the joy and the connection that we can have in our lives. So I consider myself to be very, very fortunate. Yeah. Well, you make a great point too, that you can't have the good without the bad. Mm-hmm. People ask me that often. You brought up the word regret. And I don't know that regret would directly apply here. But people will ask me, do you wish things would have been different Mm -hmm. in your life? Well, like, what a complex question, right? The most go-to answer, though, that I've been saying my entire adult life is that I wouldn't be here if that stuff didn't happen to me. Right. My mom hadn't been sick. My mom, like if my life didn't look the way it did, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And I love my life. Right. So I don't really want to answer that. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, of course I'd love if my parents were still alive. Sure, sure. But I don't know where I'd be if they were. Right. And so I'm kind of, I don't know that I'm willing to trade. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, that's really difficult to think about. Right. Well, and I don't, we don't have the power to trade. No. So. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. I mean, sure, I would make, yeah, I mean, there'd be a lot of things that would be different, I'm sure, yeah. if we had that power, but we don't. And so, what we do have power over, right, is how we react to things and how we frame them and the choices that we make. So, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're in therapy. Mm-hmm. And you're riding your bike. I'm riding my bike. What else are you doing to take care of yourself? Um, I have wonderful friends. I'm in a good marriage. I love my children and connect with them a lot. I'm a vegetarian for 28 years. Um, I don't know. Those those are the highlights, I think, for what I, I work out six days a week. And you're a vegetarian, you work mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've been, well, you're a pescatarian. I'm pescatarian. You fish. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. We went to a dinner last night, Snap Pea in Raleigh. If anyone is familiar, I would love to go to an amazing food event when they highlight local food and they have stories behind them and the chef Jacob does a really great job of curating these meals and it was all vegetarian. It was amazing. Awesome. It's and it's called amazing. Snap Pea? Snap Pea and it's what, right now the next one's in June. Okay. The next event's in June but it was incredible and so we were laughing last night because I was like, I think we could be vegetarian. We would just need to get a little creative mm-hmm. with some of the food because they like fried mushrooms and like mm-hmm. Josh was like, this is chicken. This is a lie. This is not real. So it's just very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so much easier to do than it was 28 years oh ago. God, yeah. So yeah, and you you're physically active. Mm-hmm. And you've got good friends. Work is okay. Do you think you have a good work life balance? I think I have a great life work balance, and I I think I love my coworkers. Susan being among them, yeah. feel like we're in such a great. Um, positive environment. I love our office so much. I mean, of course, every job has its, you know, mm -hmm. frustrations, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hangups, but I wouldn't trade my coworkers for anything. Mm -mm. Not at all. And, you know, our boss is an amazing person and so easy to work with. And and I remember- No micromanaging, thank God. Not not at all. One time she said to me, I I was saying something to her. We were in the office at that Mm -hmm. time. I said, Wow, you know, I really appreciate that you're willing to do that. You know, I don't even remember what it was. And she said, you know, something tells me that your previous employer was not very good to you. (laughs) You're like, hmm, where'd you get that from? Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. But she says yes all the time. She'll make it work. 
yep. if she can. And if yep. she can't, she's pretty honest about it. Right. So what we're telling y'all is to get a boss that's honest with you. Right. Because that's a big deal. I think what's really important in life is to have your values, your views, your wants, your needs align with all of the people in your life in as many domains as you possibly can. And that is, I think, well-being when those things all line up. And you can do it. It takes a little work, but you can do it. It may not happen overnight, but you can Mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. Any other pieces of advice you want to leave us with? No, but this was remarkably easy. I I told you. Yeah. Trust me. I got it. You know, one of my one of my parts doesn't like to draw attention to herself, but Mm -hmm. she was sleeping today. (laughs) Look at her. She's like, This is fine. I feel I feel at peace. I feel content Mm -hmm. and safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So thank you for creating that environment. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I value your presence in my life. Mm -hmm. I really do. And I think you must be a fine, fine therapist. <laughs> thank you. I I definitely look up to you as a clinician oh, quite often. Um, and y'all, right before we started recording, Kristen had listened to a previous episode. And mm-hmm. she was like, I noticed that you do this thing that when your guests are talking, you're able to like really pinpoint you know, the feeling that they may be talking about this very large, grand scale. You're really able to narrow it down. And I was like, thank you. You know, it's, it's those moments where you realize like, I can do this job. <laughs> I am you. doing a good job. You know, I did that with at a client the other day where I, they were sharing with me something that was going on as a um, like a duo and they were sharing something that was going on in their life and I just like had a moment where I was like what about it sounds like you're hear me out it sounds like you're blah 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 and they were like Pow. mind blown and I'm like wow I am good at this job mm-hmm. well it's a it's a fantastic job right but we don't get a lot of feedback so when you have those moments or when it when <laughs> it's it's like a good and bad thing yeah. when a client says well, I was in this situation, and then I heard your voice in my head. <laughs> the amount of heads I live in, it's a lot. I know, but it's kind of like I'm sitting back thinking, oh, my God, I hope I said the right, right. thing. I'm like, what know? did you hear me say? Right, right, exactly. I need to be mindful of what you're saying. <laughs> right. And sometimes you don't realize the impact you have. You know, Chris mm-hmm. and I were both joking, y'all, right before this. And we'll be honest, as clinicians, you know, that sometimes we don't always feel like we've done anything. Right. We get off sessions, and we're like, wow, that. Mm -hmm. I did nothing. I wasted somebody's hour. They're never coming back. Mm -hmm. I'm awful Mm -hmm. or worthless or like Mm -hmm. I have nothing to give. And then they come back and you're like, you know, I heard you the last time. And I'm like, what? Right. Like, I really, I really remembered what you said to me. I'm like, oh God, what did I say? (laughs) Like, I don't remember what I said to (laughs) you. Right. Oh. Exactly. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. This has been wonderful. And I'm so glad I got to see you since I yes. we're not neighbors. We are, but not enough. I don't get to see you as much anymore in the office. Right. Yeah. Right. One yes. day. One day. We will. I'll, I'll see you more again. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Kristen, for All sharing right. about your grief and your experience and being so honest about your, you know, what it was like for you. Because I think mm-hmm. very reasonably, it makes sense of why you wouldn't want to talk about it. Yes. Thank you for creating the space that I can do that. Absolutely. Thanks, Kristen. Bye. Thank you for listening to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. Please be sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. And follow us on social media at I've Been Better.pod.